Welcome to the Go Vita podcast, where your vitality is our passion. It's time to supercharge your health and wellness to take the next step on being the best version of you. Let's get underway. Hello and welcome to the Go Vita podcast, the show dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest wellness advice so that you can enjoy the health and vitality that you deserve. Marcus Pierce here with you, CEO of the Wellness Couch Podcast Network, and today we are talking the power of food and the difference between energy and fuel, amongst other things. Dr. Damien Christoph was a guest speaker at this year's Go Vita annual conference where he presented to the nation's member stores on the natural intelligence in food and how nothing will ever beat good quality nourishment. We're going to take you straight into the conference room. Here is Dr. Damien Christoph. Now, first of all, I do have, I've never done this before. I'm putting a disclaimer before my intro because I am, honestly, some of you know, I'm about to intro my best mate. So there's bias all through this intro. I'm about to introduce a man I sincerely love. So our next guest has been in the health and wellness industry for over 20 years. Now, he entered the industry after he originally failed accounting at university, so not too good on the numbers, developed chronic fatigue syndrome, probably in the process of trying to balance out the ledger, um, and then decided to become a naturopath. And since making that very wise decision, he's gone on to also become one of Australia's, if not the world's, leading chiropractors. But it's food that Damien Christoph is most revered for. He is host of the world's most serialized healthy TV show called Downsize Me, and he's the founder of Forage Cereal. Go Vita are the first stores in Australia to stock the brand new sprouted range of Forage Cereal. That's being a Bircher, a Paleo, and a Muesli. Forage Cereal is Australia's only dedicated gluten-free range. It's the first FODMAP certified muesli range, and it's the only FODMAP certified gluten-free porridge in Australia. So you can see the lengths that Damien's gone to in order to help uh, the consumer. I mentioned earlier, uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, the Wellness Couch as the podcast network, which I started running a few years back. Well, it was Damien who actually founded the Wellness Couch podcast network back in 2011 uh, when his um, podcast, The Wellness Guys, uh, became number one um, in the iTunes charts. Uh, Damien's been featured in Kale Brock's The Gut Movie. Um, he's my co-host on the 100 Not Out podcast. Um, and if you've ever had a chat to me about Ikaria, uh, the Greek island where people forget to die, you'll know that it's Damo who co-hosts that trip with me each year. He seriously is the rock star of wellness because he's entertaining as well as highly informative and more importantly, he is an inspirational human being. Presenting at the GoVita annual conference for the very first time, would you please welcome Dr. Damien Christoph. That one. It's nice. Oh, it's really a great honor and a pleasure uh, to be here with you guys. And I appreciate that uh, I'm now, we've now got forage into the warehouse, which is uh, an amazing thing. So I'm very, very grateful for that. So thanks to Greg and to Anne uh, for making all that happen. So we'll get into this here. Um, you all like food. Everyone likes food, right? Yep. I've noticed a few people have had like multiple, you know, cups in their hands, which is a good thing. And people have said to me, what are you going to talk on today? And I thought, well, there's a number of things that I could talk on, but the one thing I'd love to talk on is the difference between fuel and energy. 
So I'll talk about that. I'm still puffed from all that exercise. So we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, I thought I'd put this up, but I didn't know that Marcus was going to talk about that. So I will skip that slide. And I'll tell you a little bit about this journey thing that I've been on. A lot of people have been on different journeys. Um, my health journey began when I was studying to be an accountant. Um, I was 18 years old. I moved to Geelong, uh, which is a really beautiful part of the world to live in. And uh, with, you know, 18 years old, moved out of home, long hair, undercut, and, uh, and you know, all the money in the world from Ostudy, you uh, experiment a little bit. So I uh, experimented a little bit with herbs, and, uh, and the herb that I experimented with gave me this kind of crazy insatiable appetite. Has anyone ever had that herb before? <laughs> <laughs> only, only me. All right, <laughs> I don't believe that. So I had that herb, and uh, that herb um, kind of initiated my herbal medicine uh, kind of um, journey, and uh, I, I ate a lot of uh, processed food, but I did get my fruit in, so I'd have strawberries and cream from Allen's. I had uh, strawberry donuts and, uh, and often strawberry milk from Big M, so I uh, definitely gave it a nudge. Um, but I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome in 1994, and mum said to me, Damien, you're obviously doing something wrong, go see a naturopath. I said, mum, the only part of this last two and a half years of first year accounting that I actually understand is that if I spend money, it's not good. She said, well, I'll pay for you. So I said, I'll understand that too. So I, uh, I went along to this naturopath. His name was David Fitz. And he said, Damien, you've got to do a, a detox. He gave me a liver detox and he fixed up my diet. He told me I had to do um, a diet called the acid alkaline diet. Who remembers that one? Yeah. So since then, we've had acid alkaline, we've had vegan, vegetarian, keto, Atkins, paleo. Um, now we're back in vegan and vegetarian. So all these things kind of do swings and roundabouts. We had alkaline you know, diets you know, only a few years ago as well. So we've had all of those sorts of things come around. So what we do know is that there's some things that happen with food that are kind of the tenants, I suppose, of a successful diet or a successful lifestyle. And uh, when Marcus and I go overseas and we go to Greece, or if we go to Ika, um, Okinawa in Japan, or if we go to Italy, Sardinia, if we go to any of these places, the only thing that's consistent across all of these diets, whether they're vegan, vegetarian, whatever, is they all eat heaps of plants. That's it. That's the only thing that's common. But there's no common food link between any of the islands or any of the regions around the world that actually uh, live a long time. So longevity appears to be not that related to, uh, to diet, which is really interesting. But well-being and the way in which you feel in the, in the years that you're, uh, you're living is linked to diet a lot. So we find that really fascinating. Anyway, I did this diet. I felt better. Did my detox. Within about six months, I was uh, feeling much better. Within 12 months, I was back on my feet. I was doing triathlon again and feeling amazing. So I was back out there and feeling terrific. And I thought, maybe this uh, accounting thing is not really cut out. I'm not cut out for it. So I went to study to be a naturopath. And that took me four years to pass, which is good because it was a four-year course. And so I figured that I found my calling. And uh, I, I finished that with honours in herbal medicine, uh, which I thought was hilarious um, because I'd only tried one herb prior to that. And, uh, and so I then went um, from there to the Latrobe Valley. I thought I was going to the Yarra Valley. I said yes to this job. And uh, they said, oh, it's down past Tarog. And I thought, oh, that's a weird way to get to the Yarra Valley. Anyway, I ended up in Tarog. And, and, uh, and so I, uh, I lived there for about three years. And the healthiest people that I saw as a naturopath saw this chiropractor around the corner named Gary Coleman. And, uh, and Gary, not Gary Coleman from different strokes, he's a little bit different, right? <laughs> a bit taller. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> Gaz said, Damien, this thing about the, uh, the gastrointestinal system is spot on. The gut's so important. But it's the nervous system that governs the function of the gut. I've gone, really? 
And he said, yeah, what would happen if you didn't have a brain? I said, I don't know, <laughs> right? And he goes, well, that's a problem. And he said, uh, so he just explained the nervous system. And then I thought, oh, that's amazing. I'll go study to be a chiropractor. So I went to study to be a chiropractor. That took me five years to pass that one. Uh, and it was a five-year course. So I knew that I was getting closer. And I, I ended up with honours in that one as well, um, but from a diagnostic perspective. But I went to New Zealand to study that. And I paid my way through uni in New Zealand to do, doing this TV show called Downsize Me. And, uh, and Downsize Me taught people how to eat real food. And it was basically a plant-based diet with appropriate protein selected for the individual. And, uh, and people got better. And it was kind of really amazing that you could just do this with food and you didn't need to use shakes and you didn't need to use massive diets or huge fasting or massive calorie restriction. We just taught people how to eat healthy. You know, we'd have people lose 20 or 30 kilos in an eight-week period. They needed to lose that much, but uh, you know, we, it, was, it was quite incredible and their health parameters were, were great. So I started doing all these weight loss programs and I found that people who got tired losing weight were eating a lot of processed foods versus people eating a lot of healthy food and losing weight that was unprocessed, having different experiences. I thought that's really strange. So I wanted to talk a bit more about that and just understand you know, what that actually means. And I realized that the food that's rich in something called I call NQ or natural intelligence, food that hasn't been processed much, gives people more energy than food that's been processed a lot. And I like to use this analogy. If I get a sunflower seed and I put that on some cotton wool, gave it a bit of water and some sunlight, what would happen to the sunflower seed? It would sprout and grow. If I cooked that sunflower seed and I put that onto some cotton wool and a bit of, gave it some water and some sunlight, would that sunflower still, still grow? And the answer is no. And so it's just that simple step in processing changed the way in which a seed could behave. So I like to use the analogy too that I'd go fishing. So I might say to Marcus, Marcus, let's go fishing. You go, okay, let's go fishing. So we might go fishing, you know, out in the bay in Melbourne, go to Port Phillip Bay, and we might catch ourselves a snapper. And we come home and I'd go, Marcus, we've got to go tell our wives that we caught some fish, put a snapper on the bench in the kitchen, and then uh, one of our wives might say to us, we've just won a trip to Hawaii. We're going to Hawaii. We leave the fish on the bench for the next two weeks. And we come back and the place smells and the fish doesn't look like fish anymore. Who knows what I'm talking about there? So there's this intelligence that's inside the fish, which is now the bacteria and the enzymes that are inside the fish that help to break the fish down, that allows the human body to have energy when it's digesting food, not just fuel when it's digesting food. The flip side of that would be that Marcus and I would go fishing, go out to the bay, we don't catch anything, we go past but dare I say it, a supermarket, I'll say a supermarket, and uh, we pick up tinned tuna. We go home, we go, guess what? We got some tinned tuna, and our wives go, we want a trip to Hawaii. We go, great, let's go to Hawaii. We leave the tinned tuna on the bench for two weeks. And we, uh, we come back, and the tinned tuna is still sitting on the bench, and I'll get in trouble for not putting the tinned tuna away, but uh, it's still the same. The tinned tuna hasn't broken down. There's no enzymes in the tinned tuna to help you digest it. There's no bacteria in the tinned tuna to help you digest it and to give you energy. It's just fuel. Does that make sense? So I've got a protein-rich supplement that tastes like tuna versus a beautiful piece of snapper that's just freshly caught from the bay. Very, very different. And so the people that were doing weight loss programs who might have salad and were having tin tuna were feeling very different to those people who were having fresh fish. And I thought, I've got to bring that through my range. Anyway, this is not really meant to be a plug, but that's my paleo granola, and you can see these little you know, different things. But I, who's, tried, who's tried the forage range so far? Oh, that's pretty good. Oh, that's great. 
So there's half of you that haven't. So please come past the stand and try it out. Um, I would love to sample it for you. We're sampling the bircher at the moment. Um, it's been soaked in coconut water and coconut, um, coconut uh, water and yogurt. Yeah, yeah, it's delicious. So I was uh, traveling uh, back from New Zealand to Australia and I thought I'd better find out what's happening in food. What's happening at the moment in the industry? And so I opened up the Women's Weekly, and, uh, and in the Women's Weekly, there's this two-page spread, and it said, why a spa tame is safe. You all know what a spa tame is, right? <laughs> yeah, good, <laughs> thought you might. So I, uh, I was reading this, so I was a little bit shocked, and luckily I was sitting down, um, otherwise I would have fallen over, and I was sitting there, and I read it, and I'm just gonna paraphrase what I read, because I read this like 11 years ago. I've been doing this presentation, something like this presentation, for about 14 years. But this particular um, article I read in the Women's Day, and it said, why aspartame is safe, and it starts with this. I'm a registered Australian dietitian. I'm a mother of three children, and I'm concerned that my children will be swept up in the obesity epidemic and I don't want them to miss out on having sweet foods. They're children, they, you know, they deserve to have sweet treats. This is how it starts, registered Australian dietitian. So to the non-discerning consumer, they read that and they go, oh, okay, dietitian, good, educated, mother of three, even better, good. And then they read on and they read all this stuff. The next thing she says is that aspartame is made of two amino acids, phenylalanine and aspartic acid. That's true. But what she didn't say is that aspart the, the combination of aspartic acid and phenylalanine with methanol is how they get the aspartame to be bound together and very, very sweet. So that's 400 times sweeter than sugar. It tricks the brain, tricks the nervous system, tricks the liver into thinking that there's actually some sugar coming through the body. And when we now know that beyond it being an, a neurotoxin, because there's like 400 papers that tell us that NutraSweet and um, aspartame is a neurotoxin, we now know that it actually increases the risk of type 2 diabetes. It's even worse, even worse than what sugar could have ever been which is unbelievable. We've just come out of that phase where sugar is really bad. So we're starting to see that you know, sugar is not as bad as some of the alternatives, which is good. So I was like, wow, that's amazing. So she's gone through, put a name to this particular thing. And I got to the very, very end of the article and it said, proudly sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? So I was like, this is just not right. I'm going back into an environment from a really healthy, pure environment in New Zealand, the dietitians did set up a, they set up a little um, task force to shut me down because I said that coconut oil was good for you um, and they didn't like that. I said that eggs were good for you and they thought that that was bad. So I got, you know, had 80 complaints against me to the Broadcasting Standards Tribunal, had to defend all of those. The only one I had to apologise for was coconut oil. Um, because at the time when I said it, there wasn't enough research to prove that coconut oil could be good for you. Um, I did say you could cook it on high heat, which you can't cook coconut oil on a high heat, so I stand corrected with that now. Um, but you, you know, certainly you can have coconut oil in a healthy diet. So, but anyway, I defended that. Anyway, I was flying back to New Zealand to go and deliver this power of food. And uh, I used to run weight loss retreats in New Zealand, and I'd go back, and I picked up the New Zealand Women's Weekly. And there it was, the same article in the New Zealand Women's Weekly with a registered New Zealand dietitian, a mother of two children, not three children, and I'm really afraid of my children being caught up in the obesity epidemic because you know they should be able to have sugar. So I realised that these two dietitians have been bought by Coca-Cola. I was like, this sucks. Like, how do we stop this? How do we get the message out there? And so I've been doing this talk for a number of years, and I tell that story every single time because who else is disappointed by that? Like, it frustrates me that that's the information that gets out there. So I kind of uh, rig my talks now. I, I, 
I skew my talks in favour of what I want to, you know, get across. So they use science to back up their argument. They said there's 200 papers that tell us of the safety of aspartame. Like petrol safe if you don't have much of it. It's the same as aspartame. So they're doing the same thing. So I now, I, I, I tell you, everything I'm going to tell you here today is backed up by science, but uh, that supports my argument, which is really important. In, uh, in food today, in fact, in all health today, it's, ba it's philosophy that underpins what it is that we're actually doing. And I think that's really important. If we don't have a philosophy, if we don't really know the reason why we're doing it, we're just kind of doing something. And, uh, and the reason why I choose food the way that I do choose food, and the, the subject that we're talking about today is energy versus fuel, is because there's a, ph a philosophy around living things. And I, I indicated that before, if we've got a pepita and put that on some sunflower, or sorry, put on some water, sorry, on some cotton wool and some water, and gave us some sun, we would get a pepita or a sunflower seed to grow and sprout. And it's the same for all living things. So for as long as you're alive, you've got this intelligence inside your body that's looking for more energy. And when you get a hug from someone, I got a hug from Marcus before, it lifts my energy. Who's ever got a hug before? And you've got more energy from that. Yeah, absolutely. You can walk into a room and there's some stinking thinking and your energy can go right down. Does that make sense? And you know that that's, that's that craniodigital rectilitis that somebody might have actually can throw onto you just from that poor energy in the room. This energy source, you can't measure it. You can't just go, oh, that's 672 kilojoules. You can't. It's just there or it's not. And the way in which we know it is, if we cut our finger or we cut our toe or we cut our nose or whatever we do, if we cut ourselves, it's going to heal and we don't need to learn about it. Who knows that to be true? So you cut your toe, it's going to heal. You don't need a PDF download, you don't need an iTunes account or a Google Play account, you don't need any of that stuff to learn how to heal yourself. In fact, you knew how to heal yourself the moment your parents got together. Even if it was in the backseat of the car, you still are intelligent enough to heal your body every single time it gets injured. Don't you think that's amazing? I think that's incredible. That's called innate intelligence. And that exists only in living things. It's not in this lectern. It's not in the chairs. They'll stay and they'll rot and they'll break down um, over time, but they can't be repaired by themselves. We get to repair ourselves to the moment that we die. It's the same as all of our food. So if food is fresh, we get access to stuff that gives us energy as well as fuel. And that's important. It's important to understand. So that's the philosophy. These two little rats are interesting because they're exactly the same. Um, rat on the right uh, versus rat on the left. One was fed a diet that was relatively healthy, not pellet-based. Um, the other diet uh, for the big fat rat was fed a pellet-based diet, um, which is, I suppose you know would be a normal rat diet. But this little rat was given a broad variety of vegetables. That's what he was able to eat. And he was able to move around to get access to his food in a non-stressful environment. Genetically, they're both designed to have type 2 diabetes and get obesity. Genetically. Both supposed to get it. But their environment triggered the way in which they expressed their genes, which is important. And I think this is the most exciting part for you guys in the stores, to know that if people change their environment, whether it be with their cleaning products, whether it be with their ingestibles, or whether it be the things that they might otherwise use in their house and home, that they change their environment and alter the stressors on their system. And so they express their genes differently. So this big rat got type 2 diabetes and then put on weight. And that's the order in which most things happen. So you get type two diabetes, in other words, you can't manage your sugar levels anymore, and then you store the fat. That's how it happens. Which is interesting, because we're often taught that it's the other way around. And this little rat didn't get diabetes and didn't get overweight, which I find fascinating. Who thinks that's quite amazing? 
change the lifestyle, change the environment, and people can flip things around. Same for cardiovascular disease, certain types of cancers, about 17 cancers that a lifestyle modification um, can actually you know, alter them, which is great. And, uh, and of course, uh, diabetes. Type 2 diabetes is completely curable, which is wonderful. So we know that, so we change it. This here was the, uh, the TV show, that was me with hair. I've kind of hung on to this picture more than I probably should, but uh, look at that, it's not even photoshopped. It's not photoshopped, that's real, that's real. Um, but check this out. That's an apple, right? That's a banana and that's an orange. Who agrees with me? You guys, yes, great, thank you. And you guys have lost you, I'll come back over here. All right, so that, there's a, uh, a that's a banana, that's an apple, and that's an orange. If I wanted to have my intake of fruit every single day, according to the food pyramid, I've got to have two to three serves of fruit a day. So maybe if I wanted to have an, a, a vegetable, I might throw a carrot into this. And I could, if I wanted to, have an orange cake, a banana cake, a carrot cake, or an apple cake, couldn't I? Now, if I was strictly following a calorie-controlled diet or a kilojoule-controlled diet or an energy intake-controlled diet, I could limit my intake of food or calories, fuel into my body, to say 1,300 calories, and I would lose weight. So I could have 1,300 calories of fresh stuff if I wanted to, or I have 1,300 calories of still fruits and vegetables, but just in the form of a cake, just limited to 1,300 calories. Would my expression of my health and well-being be different if I had 1,300 calories of cake versus 1,300 calories of fresh stuff? Yeah. It's the same amount of fuel, but a different amount of energy. I will feel very tired having that, but I'll feel very refreshed and amazing having the fresh stuff. Simple message. Simple message. In your businesses, in your shop, if you can have people purchasing food first, their energy will increase which is great. Imagine you change their diet by 30% by getting them to eat a better brekkie, just saying. And they're eating a better breakfast with a yogurt or coconut water that they're buying from your shop and you're building your basket size around food first and then everything else comes later to support their diet. Interesting, hey, if I got a piece of cake and put that on some, some cotton wool, a bit of sunlight and some water, what would happen to the cake? There's no cake trees, is there? There's no endless Tim Tam bucket. That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But all of this stuff, even if my apple's been sitting on the shelf for 18 months, I can still take the pip from the apple and grow that pip from the apple, even if it's been there for 18 months. And we know that some of our apples are actually sitting on the supermarket shelves for 18 months. We know that, you know, not in the shelves, but in storage. So we know that. These things here are pieces of information, and I think it's really important to understand that these can be really important for people's life and lifestyle. And much of your business will be part of providing people information from their diet to help them be really well. But understand that a thing called a supplement, starts with S, ends in S, it's a supplement, must supplement a healthy diet. Let's say, for example, I went down to Macca's, Bought myself a cheeseburger, got myself a Diet Coke and a small fries because I'm watching my waistline, and, uh, and gave myself uh, some supplements to fill in the gaps. Versus having a beautiful salad, you know, some rocket leaves, some olives, some, you know, some shaved parmesan on there if I wanted to. I could have some cucumber, some tomato, uh, put some fresh salmon on top of that, and off we go, and I have some supplements to fill in the gaps. There's a very different expression of health and well-being with each of those approaches, but I'm still having the same supplements. Does that make sense? These things here are information. So I used to think that if you walked into a library, immediately you'd become intelligent. 
Uh, <laughs> took me a little while to work out that didn't really work. But uh, I, uh, I now know that supplements only provide information and it takes something intelligent to use the information to get something from it. So you can't put a supplement on some cotton wool, give it a bit of water and some sunlight and grow something from it. That's not gonna happen, we know that. So these are the trendy ones, right? So what's that one if it's trendy? Vitamin D. Yep, good, nice. Uh, what's that one? Curcumin. Yeah, curcumin, turmeric, I love it. What's this one? Trendy? Calcium? Magnesium, yeah, magnesium, good magnesium. Yeah, 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 and that one, liver. Let's say it's liver. I, I've changed this over the last 10 years. It's the same slide, um, but it just depends on you know which one's trendy at the time. They all look similar. I find it fascinating. Uh, I don't know if there's any B vitamins in there, but what's interesting about this is that these are all bits of information that tell the body to behave in a particular way given a set of circumstances, which means that we're activating genes within the body by providing information to the body through diet and lifestyle. So if we've got a beautiful meal that we start with and we add extra information to it, then that's way better because the information should be attached to the energy that's in the food, not just a food or a diet that's rich in information. So I was talking to the guys from Wild, uh, from White Wolf before. Um, love that stuff. I sell that uh, protein in my practice in uh, Sandringham in Victoria. And, uh, and I think it's really great. I really love it. But I tell people to put spinach with it and blueberries and avocado and all of that because the protein by itself is just a macronutrient, which is information. So if you only have that information, then you'll get tired because it's only fuel. It's not energy. Put the avocado, the spinach, the berries into it, and there's this energy that comes from it. And you feel better because you've got real food, real fiber, plus the protein. Does that make sense? That's the message. If you're communicating that kind of message in your shops, your basket size will fly. It's unbelievable. So there's nothing wrong with information. Coffee is information. Who enjoys coffee? Yeah, coffee is information that tells your body what to do. Some people actually start the day with coffee and they, they have coffee before they have food, but that actually stresses the body out. So if you have caffeine, you stimulate the adrenal glands and the adrenal glands send out a hormone called adrenaline, puts you into fight or flight. The moment you go into fight or flight is the moment you start to lose the ability to show compassion. If you're stressed, you can no longer show compassion, which is very difficult, especially when you're communicating with people. If you start the day in stress, you divert blood away from the gastrointestinal system. So let's do this, let's play this one for a second. We wake up to a sharp sound from an alarm clock, we roll over, see the same person we have for the last 20 years, and then we get a coffee. There's a lot of stress there. <laughs> Who knows what I'm talking about, right? So we've got a lot of stress. So our blood pressure's up, our heart rate's beating, we're diverting blood from the gastrointestinal system, and uh, we miss out on key opportunities for moments of absorption of nutrients. If we don't digest our food properly, if we start the day with caffeine, we send blood away from the gut and we increase the motility of the digestive system. Who's had a coffee and 10 minutes later, you've got a bolt to do a number two? Who's ever done that? Thank you for sharing, thank you. It's good, we'll be talking about poo shortly. And so uh, it's very important to, uh, to know that that's a normal sympathetic response. We're meant to have that. The sympathetic nervous system is there to keep us alive and uh, in a fight or flight or freeze sort of environment, that's, that's right. But we don't wanna start the day in fight or flight. It's not ideal or freeze, we won't get much done in a, in a freeze state. So have food first. Wait about, now this is for ideal, this is an ideal scenario. If you've got people coming into your shop and going, I'm so stressed out, what can I take? Um, get them to move their caffeine to after their food. Get food in there first and move their caffeine later. Because they won't want to give it up. Who wants to give up, who wants to give up coffee? Anyone really want to give up coffee in here? 
Nah. So when I used to say to my patients, you've got to give up coffee, they're like, well, it's been really nice knowing you. <laughs> you know, I'm never coming back. And so I realised that if I move their caffeine, whether it be tea, green tea, black tea, doesn't matter, or coffee, um, if I moved it to about 90 minutes away from their food, would have no negative impact on their digestion to uh, the absorbability of their food. It's quite, it's quite good. That doesn't mean that when Piercy and I catch up and we have a meal, we don't share a coffee together. We still do it. But you're definitely aware that things are moving differently, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Especially when Marcus has gone for like the next 20 minutes. Like, dude, what are you doing? I've got stuck, Davo. Um, who's seen this thing before? What's it called? The food pyramid, freaking boring, right? Anyway, the food pyramid is interesting because what they taught us um, was that we had to eat according to the food pyramid. And many people in this room, even though you don't think you have been, you have been eating according to the food pyramid. And the reason why you have been is because we know that if we can plant information into your brain before the age of seven, you've got it for life. It's part of your operating system. You know everything you need to survive on from the first seven years of your life, which is amazing. Amazing. So, when did you first see this food pyramid? Primary school, maybe in the doctor's office. Maybe some dentists used to have it as well, because all part of you know just food promotion, especially through the 80s, which is when it came out. Now, obviously, Nutrition Australia has spent a lot of money on this to change it. They turned it into a circle a couple of years ago, which is pretty creative. I thought that was amazing. You could never work out how you get a triangle into a circle, but they used exactly the same portions. And their recommendation was instead of drinking water, drink milk for the kids. They reckoned that the kids needed to drink milk instead of water, um, which I had huge exception or took huge, huge exception to. But last year, they dropped, or two years ago, they dropped $2.4 million and they flipped it upside down. How about that? $2.4 million, and, uh, and they managed to put uh, fresh fruit and vegetables down here, and they brought protein down to there, and they put the grains and the starchy stuff up higher, and they brought fat back into the equation. So they started to go towards a more of a Mediterranean-style eating program, which is the, the most scientifically rigged, uh, rigorously studied uh, you know, eating program on the planet. But it's not right for everybody, which is interesting. Anyway, they told us that we're going to have six to nine serves of grain-based carbohydrates. Now, they told us that seven years ago. Prior to that, it was 9 to 11, grain-based starchy carbohydrates. Has anybody ever done that before? Let's have a look at it. You might get yourself a cereal, not, not forage, because forage is good. You might get yourself a cereal or a muesli, and you weigh out your little serving size. What would that serving size of a muesli or a cereal be? Does anybody know what that serving size should be? 35 grams, that's right, 35 grams, about. But it depends on what the manufacturer wants to put on there, right? Because I say my serving size is 50 grams because I'm not good at maths, right? So I've got to put the percentage on there and if I halve it, it's 50. So that's your serving size. So you get to do that. It's the same as the bread manufacturers. They get to tell you how many slices are in there and they say for everybody in here, what's the serving size of bread? Two slices, the manufacturer gets to determine that. It's not up to the individual. So all of us have got different size hands. Marcus has got skinny hands and I've got skinny hands, but there's other people with bigger hands than what Marcus and I have, more solid hands. There's other people with smaller hands than what we've got. But our portion size is exactly the same, and I'll talk about portions in a moment. According to the, the manufacturer, that's how it's determined. So we might start the day measuring out a muesli. So maybe you measured out your 35 grams. Let's say you did. And maybe you didn't. Maybe you're a bloke. You looked at the picture and you've gone, wow, that's a pretty good-sized bowl. And you just shake it out 35 times, and you get into the bowl, and that's what we've got. We've got a beautiful bowl. Many people did the low-fat things, so they did low-fat milk. They uh, paid more for less, uh, which I think is hilarious. You've gone from a low-fat milk to a lower-fat milk because uh, you've gone from 96 
96% fat-free to 99% fat-free. And, uh, and they put that into the milk. And so they go into the cereal, they eat their bowl of cereal. Some people have cereal and toast for breakfast. These will be your consumers. Then at 9.30, 10 o'clock, they start to you know, get a bit hangry. They go for their first cuppy, uh, cappuccino for the day. Uh, maybe they're going to have a little uh, panini or maybe a, a, a low-fat muffin or a croissant or something for their morning tea. Uh, that's another serve of grain-based carbohydrate. And then they might uh, be eating a sandwich for lunch. Just to say they, they've made their sandwich, but the fresh food people didn't rock up to their doorstep over the last few days. And they look in the fridge and there's nothing fresh in there. So they go and get some pickles out of the door. They get some cheese that's a little bit mouldy. They chop off the mould and uh, they make a, uh, a pickles and ham and cheese sandwich from the bread that's in the freezer being kept away from, uh, from the moisture. It's interesting, isn't it? Because with wheat, uh, the healthy point of wheat is when it's sprouting. But what we do is we kind of grow it up until it becomes a grain and we keep it away from moisture because if the moisture hits the grain, what happens to the grain? It grows, it gets healthy, right? We don't want that. So what we do is we, uh, we keep it away from moisture, we keep it away from sunlight, and then we grind it down, we bleach it, blow it into hot air, uh, put it into a little bag, keep it away from moisture and hot air again because if the moisture and hot air or whatever gets onto the flour, it turns into, into something different or it could go mouldy. But if we do want to pre, you know, perform some magic, we mix a bit more water with it, put it into the oven, take more moisture out of it. So we put moisture back in, took the moisture back out, and it turns into something called bread. We slice it up, let more moisture disappear, and then we put it into a plastic bag and put it into the freezer to keep the moisture away from it. And then we want to put the moisture back into it. We take two slices out to let the moisture get back in, and we put it into the toaster to take the moisture back out of it, and uh, we're left with this piece of bread that's got no more B vitamins left in it. It's lost 97% of the B vitamins. So we put on there something, maybe it's butter or margarine. Which one's healthier for you? Butter by miles. But here's the thing, right? A couple of years ago, we were all told that butter was good for us. But a few years before that, we were all told that butter was bad for us. And what's interesting is that some people butter is actually really good for them and other people butter is really bad for them. And so one of the greatest things you can put onto toast is avocado. And, uh, and that's good for everybody. Like, well, I wouldn't be recommending that. Whack some avocado, and because we've lost all the B vitamins, maybe you're going to whack on there a little bit of Vegemite. I don't know, it could be, or maybe Marmite, or maybe it's another yeast extract that you're selling at GoVita, so you just whack that on there, and you've got all your B vitamins. They've made a sandwich, and they've eaten that at 11.30. By 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're hangry, they're agitated. It's continental time. Um, they're ready to have something else that's processed. And at 2.30, 3 o'clock, we tend to crave stuff that starts with C and ends in E, because crave starts with C and ends in E, uh, and so does carbohydrate. And, uh, and what else do you crave at 2.30, 3 o'clock that starts with C and ends in E? Chocolate. Coffee. Coke. Cheese. A beer. Beer. <laughs> <laughs> It's 12 o'clock somewhere, isn't it? Champagne, that's right, champagne. So we start with, we're craving the stuff that starts to see it ends in E, except for beer. And, uh, but that's something that happens. Then we're all a little bit stressed. We're driving home. We're trying to get home in time for the kids. And we're stressed out of our brains. We started the day stressed. We've had a couple of coffees to get through to the afternoon. We get through the peak hour traffic. And uh, we get home. The fresh food people didn't turn up again. We're thinking, what are we going to cook for dinner? We sit down, and, or we might be standing up thinking what we're going to have for dinner. We have some biscuits and cheese. Or we have some dip and crackers. And so it's another serve of grain-based carbohydrates. So we've had carbohydrates through the whole of the day. And we decide that we're going to have some spaghetti bolognese uh, because there's no fresh stuff in the house yet. So we go to the pantry where the dolmio is and the pasta is and we pull out some frozen meat we defrost that really quickly hopefully not using a microwave we cook that up and we realize that for the whole of the day we've had nothing fresh at all now, the whole day is processed food this is the state of australia at the moment this is the standard australian diet nothing fresh 
didn't have any fruit with our brekkie. We didn't have any vegetables with our lunch, no salad. We haven't had any fruit with our snacks. And dinner is now just spaghetti bolognese. Maybe you've gone down to get an onion from where the onions grow underneath the sink, right? And so you get this onion out. It's got this like green thing coming out of the top. You chop that off because that's not, it's meant to be a brown onion. So you open this thing up and uh, it's really brown. So you chuck it out. So you, you might use French onion soup for flavoring and, uh, and you serve that up. And the amount of pasta that we're meant to have is around about a palm size. Like that's what it's meant to be. But who in this room, honestly, would only eat a palm size of pasta in once. It never happens. You go to, you know, these bowls, the pasta bowls are big. So anyway, we sit down on the couch at the end of the night um, after we've had our spag bowl uh, with a bowl of ice cream and we watch The Biggest Loser and, uh, <laughs> we, uh, and we're going, yeah, move your butt, you know. That's kind of what we do. And so we've had nothing fresh for the whole day. That's the state of play. So imagine if you fixed up their breakfast and said, have some yogurt, have a great quality muesli with some fruit. Or make a smoothie, and in the smoothie, put some spinach and some fruit and some avocado. Imagine that you're advising people to do that. Not only are you becoming their trusted advisor and their go-to person for healthy advice, but they're actually now buying products from you that are supporting their health and well-being. Their energy will lift. Their digestion will improve. Things will be great. Now, the food pyramid tells us that uh, fruit is bad for us. It tells us we should only have two to three serves of fruit a day because you could die. And then it also says that uh, vegetables should be limited to three to five serves of veggies a day because they're pretty toxic these days. So just uh, lay off them. And so if I do my maths right here, and it took me a long time to pass first year accounting, as you know, three plus five equals eight. So the maximum amount of fruit and vegetables I should be consuming according to the food pyramid is eight serves. In Australia, we still don't get three to five serves of fruits and vegetables in a day as a population, which is unbelievable. Less than 15% of the population eats seven serves of fruits and vegetables a day. Is that shocking? That is a shock. In Japan at the moment, they're, they're uh, requesting that all of their population has 80 serves of fruits and vegetables a week. 80. That's about 15 a day. That's easy to do. It's three vegetables with breakfast. Uh, sorry, three fruits with breakfast or three veggies with breakfast. It's four or five with lunch and four or five with dinner and you're there plus a snack in between. And you're there, you've got all of your fruits and vegetables. Or if you're trying to fast and you're eating in a smaller window, you might put all of those, you might have seven in seven. You know, it could be amazing, bless you. Interesting, hey? They also told us that we're gonna have protein. So you see up there, there's protein. Um, you can see there's a fish there, uh, which is really nice. Uh, they put some walnuts there, which I thought was quite cool. Um, they put cabana there, which I thought was amazing. <laughs> I don't know where that grows on animals, but uh, that's uh, a really interesting thing. But uh, they told us that we could have cabana, but then they said that cabana and processed meats causes colon cancer, right? So I don't know, I'm confused about it. I'm confused. They then said we've got to have more dairy than fresh fruit. They said three to four serves of dairy. Um, they put eggs in the dairy component. <laughs> Go figure that. I've never seen a cow push out an egg. Um, it's, uh, it's just not in my town. And, uh, but three to four serves of dairy. Why are we supposed to have so much dairy? Why do they say we're supposed to have so much dairy? 
for calcium. Yeah, so there was this Rev ad, you might remember Rev, and uh, the Rev ad had this skeleton dancing around, and because he didn't drink his milk, his head fell off, and he rolled away, like it rolled away. And it was this implication that if women didn't actually have dairy enough, that they would uh, also have their heads fall off and roll away, and, uh, and then life would fall apart. And so that's now illegal to say. The countries that consume the most amount of dairy have the highest rates of osteoporosis. So we don't want to be recommending dairy as a calcium supplement. Have dairy in your lifestyle if you want to have a little bit of cheese or if you want to have a little bit of yogurt, but don't be guzzling milk just because you've got to keep your calcium up. That's not ideal. There's issues with that. The food pyramid told us that olive oil was as good for us as lollies. And um, over the last decade, Australia has spent more money on lollies and confectionery than they have on fresh fruit and vegetables. In the last decade, every single year, we spend more on confectionery and less on fruits and vegetables. And the only way we can change that is to change our recommendations. We've got to bring the price of fruits and vegetables down. And the only way we can do that is to consume more so we export less. So important. So important. This food pyramid, you can see that many people could be doing, but most people will only be doing the bottom part of it. That's it. That's it. That's why we're in trouble in Australia. Interesting, hey? I love it. So this little fella, let's say this boy's name's Jack. Um, you know when you eat food, it should come out. You all know that, right? Some people in this room will eat food and then about 15 to 20 minutes later will need to go and move their bowels. That's because gravity's pulling things through and you've got meals stacked up on meals, okay? But what's supposed to happen is a meal's supposed to go into your body and then come out within 12 to 24 hours. So it's supposed to be in, do its job, and then get out. That's essentially what food's supposed to do. But a lot of people actually hang on to their food. I don't know whether they really like it or, uh, or they just don't want to let go of some stuff or they're a little bit anally retentive or whatever it is. But there's just something going on, right? And we're supposed to get the food out. It goes in and comes out, looks different. That's important, right? Because some people get food in and it comes out really quickly and it looks quite similar. And, uh, and that's not ideal. So this little guy, this is a really nice piece of information just to think about this with your... The people that come into, is that my winder? No? Okay. It's, um, we're all good. Uh, people come into your, into your uh, shops will be looking for some guidance on this. And think about this. So this little boy, little Jack or little Johnny, he's actually, it is actually my, I, I model this on my son, but I talk about this as Johnny. He's done a 400 meter race. He's bolted around the oval. He's got himself a world record personal best time. And uh, he feels good about it. His mum says to him, how do you feel about that? He goes, mum, I feel so good. I feel so good. She goes, that's great. Here's some watermelon to rehydrate you with. And he goes, oh, mum, why do I have to have watermelon? Why can't I have one of those coloured drinks that everybody else gets when they finish races like the AFL football players are having and all the rugby players are having and all the cricket players are having and promoting and all that? Why can't I have one of those, mum? She goes, well, I really love you and uh, I don't want you to have those sorts of drinks. You can have plenty when you're old enough. He goes, geez, all right. So he eats the watermelon. She said, now, you ran around the oval, and so you've burned off some protein. You ripped your muscles, so you've burned off some protein. You've got to replace that. You've run around the oval, you've burned off some carbohydrate, so you've got to replace that. That's important for your brain to work properly. And you've run around the oval, and you need to eat some fat, because that surrounds every single cell within your body. If you don't have enough fat in your diet as a young child, you will grow up unhealthy. You need to eat lots of fat. 
He goes, all right, cool. The coach runs over. He goes, Johnny, that was amazing. Here's a voucher for Maccas, and you can go and supersize your meal to rehydrate and replenish your body because you, you, know, you did the best. You're a champion. He goes, Mom, I can get protein, fat, carbohydrates from Maccas. And she goes, no, that's not how it's going to be. She gives him a wrap. And in the wrap, it's got avocado, chicken, some lettuce or some rocket or whatever that you can get the kid to eat. And he's fueling now with protein, fat, and carbohydrate from something healthy. His mum's had to buy the voucher from him. <laughs> His dad's had to buy the voucher from him, right? And so I, what I used to say to Jackson was, I'll buy that from you and you can reward yourself with something that you save up for from your efforts, but not with food. So in Australia, we reward our, 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 our kids with food. And so we set up an emotional eating behavior from the age of somewhere between zero and seven. If you don't clean your room, you don't get dessert. If you don't speak to Nana, you can't have a lemon tart. Um, if you haven't mowed the lawn, you can't get Mr. Whippy. All those sorts of things we have told our kids because we've bribed them or punished them with food-based rewards or punishments. So I tried to teach Jackson um, that. He's 18 now, and, uh, and I think some of it worked, but not all of it. But what I know is that for the first 18 years of his life, um, he was introduced to another way in which he could um, reward himself rather than just with food. He doesn't come home after a bad day and try and have food. Who has a bad day and comes home and eats food and drinks alcohol? All right. Who comes home after an unbelievable day and eats food and has alcohol? <laughs> Who just comes home and has food and alcohol? <laughs> right, there we go. There we go. We've got audience participation. And, uh, and so it is interesting, but uh, we do that to make ourselves feel good. We get dopamine, we get serotonin. There's more serotonin in our gut than there is in our brain. And we get that from food. We feel fantastic by eating food and socializing. It's an amazing thing. Anyway, he's now going to save up. He's eating a nourishing meal and he's rehydrated from some watermelon, which is really great. Doesn't mean he can't have those other rehydration products that you might be selling in your, practice, in your businesses, um, but watermelon would be the ideal thing to have first. Does that make sense? What a nice little approach. Anyway, it's got to come out. So we're going to start the timer. All that's got to come out. And one of the ways in which you can find out how fast your, your poo's coming out, we're going to start talking about poo. One of, the one of the ways to find out how fast your poo's coming out not with a radar gun. Someone I go, like, whoa, 30Ks an hour, it's unbelievable, right? We're not doing that. We're, uh, we're setting our watches. So what we do is we get some sesame seeds. You can start this in your, in your shop. We're doing the sesame seed challenge this month, everybody. We're wanting to find out the integrity of your gastrointestinal system. This becomes a gut health thing for your shop. What's the sesame seed challenge? Well, let me tell you. So what we do is we put a teaspoon of sesame seeds into a glass of water and you drink it. And then you, you ask Siri to start a timer. Hey Siri, start timer. Siri starts a timer and you wait for your poo to come out and the sesame seeds should be visible. You don't chew them, but they should come through. Now, if you wear glasses, you can do it with corn as well. And it's easier to see, right? Because you don't always put your glasses on. I put my glasses on so I can see what's going on down there. You don't always do that. But uh, you can do corn. Now, unless you're a Mexican, you can't digest the outer casing of corn. The outer casing of corn, which is a cellulose structure, is not digestible unless you're a Mexican. You have got that um, origin of enzymes and bacteria to be able to digest the corn fiber. You get the starch, but you don't get the vitamins unless you're Mexican. That doesn't mean Tasmanians. We're talking like, we're talking proper Mexicans, right? <laughs> I say that all the time because I'm from Victoria, so. 
come up to Queensland, people go, oh, you're Mexicans. So it's got to come out 12 to 24 hours later. Some people will see these sesame seeds come out after three or four hours. That's malabsorption. And their bowels will be runny. So they're at the gravy train end of the poo chart, right? It's okay to talk about this. We're all in the health field. <laughs> I've got a poo chart actually. Um, out of my stand, you can grab the poo chart, put it in your bag, and download the poo chart as well. There's a special uh, thing you can scan to download that, print it off in your practice in your in your shop, and give it to people. It's great. People love to talk about poo. And then the other one, which is the splashing poo, the one that um, you know when you drop a poo into the toilet, it comes up and splashes you on the bum. Do you know what that one is? That's, the, the reason why it does that is because you were dehydrated in the first place, and so I was just reminding you of what you should have done first. You know, it's just like. <laughs> Drink more water, will you? Your body's telling you stuff. It tells you stuff. So that's the number one versus the number seven. The one you should have is the number four. Your number two should be a number four, and that's a nice log. And that should be out. Now, there's some people in this room that won't see this, and you'll see this in your businesses. There's some people in your room or in your business that won't move their bowels for three days. Their sesame seeds will come out after three days. That's when things become a problem. Who heard that meat cause, you know, sticks, red meat sticks in your gut for like six days? Who heard that one? That's hilarious, isn't it? So let's say, for example, your sesame seeds have come out after a day. Do you reckon the meat's hanging around going, I'm sticking in here for like another, I'm here for six more days. You guys can just get out and I'm hanging around. <laughs> That's not what's happening. So your transit time is uh, throughout the whole of the meal. So if you've had some steak and the sesame seeds come out um, at the same time as your, that's coming out at the same time as your steak. But if your bowels are hanging on to corn and sesame seeds for three days or four days or five days, or they just disappear, because um, some people's seeds will just disappear. I don't know where they go, but they just, <laughs> they just disappear. Maybe it's the appendix, I don't know. But so they go, they, you need to do it again. But some people don't move their bowels enough, and it should happen every 12 to 24 hours. Those people that are hanging onto the sesame seeds for two, three, or four days, they are at risk of colon dysfunction and problems. So they're the ones that have the problems down the track. Imagine you were communicating the sesame seed challenge in your shop, and you're running gut health programs. Just something to think about. Could be cool. I wanted to talk about the PAR method, and I reckon we've got a little bit of time. I've got, yeah, 15 minutes. The PAR method is an eating program that I designed, and it's across the board with all, um, all food programs based on philosophy, right? So the PAR method is something that I noticed when I was studying chiropractic. So when we were doing chiropractic, uh, we had to cut open a human, and so I was cutting open my human. She was already dead. And uh, so I was cutting her open, and she was only 60 years old. So when I was 30, I thought 60 was old. Who knows what I'm talking about? Now I'm 45, I think 60 is super young, and uh, I don't want to get there yet, but I think that 60 is super young, and I reckon that 80 is old. Um, and when I go to Greece, we go to uh, Ikaria, and we celebrate people's 80th birthday, they go, what are you doing that for? She's not even old. Like, you've got to be 100 before you get to celebrate birthdays in Greece. So I'm cutting through her. Um, and at this point in time, uh, it was like middle of summer, like at the start of you know, the year, talking March. Uh, the air conditioning had broken down in our lab and uh, there's uh, 60 other people cutting open humans uh, in this lab. And it was pretty warm and like formaldehyde surrounding us. It was like kind of gross. <laughs> so, you know, I'm cutting her, the fat's melting through my fingers. Like it's literally, because that's what happens. So as I'm cutting through her, I get that far down and I haven't reached her stomach muscles yet. 
So I've gone through what's called the subcutaneous fatty layer of fat. As I cut through our abdominal wall, more fat spewed up out of that. So we got more fat and that was like brown. It's kind of, it was brown. So we've gone from yellow fat, which is subcutaneous fat, not really that harmful, to visceral fat, which is very harmful surrounding the organs. And that's probably the reason why she got heart disease and died. It's because she had the visceral fat. So women store around about five kilos, six kilos of visceral adipose tissue, but women preferentially store fat in areas under the skin that are more visible. Who's noticed that? Yeah. So women store the thighs, the hips, the waist, the tummy, the boobs. That's where women store it because when your organs are functional, you use that fat to fuel your babies. That's what you do. That's, that's how we do it. Men are that, you know, we're not that clever. Uh, we store fat behind our abs first. We store visceral adipose tissue, for, you know, and it makes us feel good. And the reason why it makes us feel good is because when we stand naked in front of the mirror, um, the fat pushes our abs out towards the mirror and it looks like as our eyesight's failing, it looks like we've still got abs, you know? So like, look, I've still got it, you know? And, but what actually happens is that we can store 25 kilos of visceral adipose tissue behind our abs. We don't have our important organs inside our body. We've got our important organ outside our body. And, uh, and girls have got their important organs inside their body and, uh, and you need to protect them and we need to protect them. But it's just different, you know what I mean? So with men, when we get fat in our viscera, we produce a hormone called estrogen. Now, to my knowledge, estrogen's really good when it's around us, but not inside us. So I reckon that, uh, that if we're surrounded by estrogen, in other words, we're surrounded by uh, hormone, people with hormones, as opposed to hormones inside our body, it's better. Does that make sense? So it's better to not have estrogen in our body because it makes us grumpy and moody and increases our risk of heart disease. That's what it does to men. Women, when they store visceral adipose tissue, they manufacture a hormone called testosterone. Increases hair growth, polycystic ovaries, um, insulin resistant, type two diabetes. So we don't want women to have visceral adipose tissue. We definitely don't want blokes to have visceral adipose tissue either. Anyway, so I'm cutting down through this lady. The fat spews out. All I wanted to get to that day was the stomach. So I had to push the pancreas aside. We took the pancreas out and put that over there. And then I pulled the stomach out and the stomach had been emptied. All the contents had been emptied. The intestines were empty. We chopped off the ends, so the esophagus at the, um, at the pylorus. So we cut that open and I had this thing that looked like a basketball sock. And that was the side, that was the stomach. And so I looked at it, it's like this basketball sock. I'm like going, oh my gosh, that's, it's not that big. The stomach's not massive. It's quite small. And so what I found was that two fists was about the size of the stomach, which is kind of like that. And so I thought, well, I wonder whether or not that's the case. So I went to this book called Grey's Anatomy and, uh, and I read up on Grey's Anatomy and inside Grey's Anatomy, it talks about the volume and what actually fits inside the stomach. And, uh, and it's about two fists worth of food. I was like, wow. It's amazing. That's how much food we need to be eating around about three times a day. Could be twice a day, could be five times a day, depends on your philosophy. But we're all designed with different fists. So I'd love you all to do this. Could you just bring your fists together, put it like this, and you'll see that's how much food you should be eating three times a day. Who's disappointed by that? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> a lot of disappointed people going, oh, no way. <laughs> Damo sucks. <laughs> Now I've heard it, I can't unhear it. What did he tell me that for? <laughs> hey, Liz, can you come up here for me? Just stand up here. I'll come down to you. 
Round of applause for Liz. <laughs> Look at him, he's even shaking his head at me. <laughs> Haven't done anything yet. All right, Liz, what I want you to do is to do this, bring your fist together. I'm going to make a bowl. I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a, a cast for Liz to be able to take home so he knows how big his bowl's got to be three times a day. This is it. So my thumbs are going to go up to his wrists. And then I'm going to pull out this bowl. And I've got this massive bowl that I've got to fill up with food. Who thinks that's a fair bit of food now? Yeah. It's a heap of food. Thanks, Liz. See? That wasn't too bad, was it, Liz? It's so much food. Most people can't eat that much food. So when you've got that bowl, Les's bowl was pretty big. He's got big hands, right? You know what they say about big hands? No. Big gloves, right? And so he, uh, we open that up, and we've got to fit protein, fat, and carbohydrate into that bowl. So it's vegetables, fruits, and salads, proteins, and, and fat. That's, it's got to fit into that bowl three times a day. Now you could space that out or you could have that in two meals. Imagine what that bowl looks like if you're having that in two meals. That's enormous. It's an amazing amount of food. So I got all of my patients who are doing weight loss with to eat that much food. Most of them complained I got them to eat too much food, which is amazing. They couldn't believe that they could lose weight by eating this particular method um, and not be hungry, which is cool. So let's just go through this. So we get carbohydrates. The best source of carbohydrates are fruits, vegetables, and salads. That's the best form of carbohydrate. It gives us the greatest degree of diversity in our gut. Our microbiome loves it. Uh, we can still get some resistant starch from that, and the resistant starch is what fuels our microbiome. It's very, very important. Resistant starch would be things like potatoes, bananas, um, and the grain-based resistant starch is things like rice, quinoa, lentils, buckwheat, those sorts of things. So we can have all of that. Ideally, we'd stack up a whole hand full of fruits and vegetables. And this is useful information for you guys too, not only just for your people that come into your shop, this is useful for you because if you apply these sorts of strategies, all of a sudden you've got more energy and you feel better and your body's coming into better shape too. So that's a great thing, particularly when you're busy and you're running a business. You want to be able to know how much food you should be eating and what sort of foods you're eating. It's a big mound of fruit, salad and vegetables three times a day. Then with your, um, with your protein, you want to have a palm size of protein. It's based on what your preference is. So if you're going to be carnivore, you might have fish, eggs, red meat, or chicken. If you're vegetarian, you might have some tofu and legumes. But if you're vegetarian, if you're having tofu and legumes, you should have it with rice or quinoa as well. Otherwise, you're not going to get the full spectrum of amino acids. And you might then find yourself having to top up with protein shakes um, to keep your amino acid profile right up there. We can survive on low protein for a long time. We can survive on it, but we don't thrive without protein for a long time. The big difference. So we're using the thickness is the smaller part of your hand, not the fatter part of your hand. And many of you will, when you do this with your hand, have a look at it, you'll touch your hyperthenar pad and it will be soft and spongy. Who's doing that in a soft and spongy? If it's rock hard, then you know you're getting enough protein. If it's soft and spongy, you haven't got enough protein in your diet. This is one of the most used muscles in your body is the hyperthenar pad. So you want to have that as a really strong muscle. Very important. Interesting. Anyone disappointed by that or shocked? Yeah? It's quite cool. People are going to go, is mine soft? Is mine hard? I'll be up here at the end. People go, can you just check my palm? The amount of fat I reckon you should be eating is very arbitrary. I'm not really that dead set on it in terms of the measurement. Like I want people to have fat in their diet, but not loads of fat, but not... Not enough fat either. So I love the idea of having 
low carbohydrate, healthy fat diet, I think that's a really great way to go. It's a really healthy way to eat. And my great friend Steph Lowe and I talk about that all the time on her podcast called The Natural Nutritionist. Who's heard of Steph Lowe? Yeah. She's fabulous. She's great. So we look at these sorts of things here. We go, oh, these here are all some of the you know, beautiful oils. And there's probably more. Like there's hemp oil now we've got access to. There's some new oils that are coming out into Australia um, that are made from blue-green algae, which is an incredible oil rich in omega-3s. There's all these you know, different things that are coming out. But there's only a few that you'd ever cook with. And we should never be cooking on a high heat. So we have this sort of uh, desire to cook things really fast. Like we live a fast life these days. Everyone's trying to cook things fast. And that means using high heat. But... Olive oil burns at about 172 degrees. Uh, macadamia nuts at about 180-something degrees. Avocados about 170 degrees. Coconuts 150 degrees. It burns. And the more pure the coconut is, the lower the smoke point. So like if it's really, really good quality coconut oil, it'll burn at 146 degrees. If it's highly refined and all of the good stuff's taken out, and it's just left with the saturated fat, then you will have a smoke point at around about 180 degrees, but still it's not high heat. Like canola oil and all those other shitty oils, you can cook them up to like 200, 250 degrees and they won't burn because they're heat and chemical extracted. Like rice bran oil, heat and chemical extracted. So it's a, it's a cooking oil, not a healthy oil, if that makes sense. Interesting, hey? So the portion size for your fats per meal is your index finger and your expressive finger and you put them both together and you basically either pour the oil over your fingers and wipe it on um, or you just get a rough guide and like do that. And whatever sticks on the food you eat, whatever's on your plate, just don't lick it off the plate. That's as simple as that. If you want to overeat fat, that's fine. Just make sure the fat's raw. If the fat's cooked, it's no good. It's no good. That's important to understand. When you're cooking food, I like to explain this to people. You know when you cook pasta, you take a piece of pasta out, you chuck it on the wall and it sticks. And you know it's right. Who does that? Anyone else do that? That's good. Thank you. It's called al dente when you do that, right? So that's perfect. You take that piece of pasta off, put it on your partner's plate, and they don't know because <laughs> they, uh, they didn't help you out. You know, that's for not helping me out. And, uh, and then so you do the same thing for broccoli. Like you take the broccoli off the pan and you drop it on the floor and it should bounce and roll away. Carrot should bounce and roll away. Three second rule, pick it up. Uh, take the cat fur off, put it on the plate, partner's plate. Uh, they don't know, but you know that you've cooked them a really good meal and uh, it's got a slightly higher dose of microbiome, uh, which is not a, not a bad thing. You're actually looking after their gut. Uh, you might actually increase the uh, sesame seed challenge transit time for a, you know, a little bit, <laughs> depending on what bugs came off the floor. Anyway, so what you do is your vegetables should be cooked all the way through or warmed all the way through, but not splat on the floor. So if you drop it and it splats, I don't put it on my partner's plate. Like I will pick that up, put it in the bin. I know that what I should have done is cooked it less next time. The only time I tip stuff out if I overcooked it is fat. So I never ever use the fat that's smoked. If I've used the fat that's smoked, then I'm, I'm doing a disservice to my body and I know that. With my proteins, um, if I drop it on the floor and it runs away, I did a bad job to start with, right? So, but if I drop it on the floor and it splats, that's what should happen. It should splat. Like there should be some moisture in the protein. That's important. The more moisture that's in the protein, the easier it is for our body to digest, the more active the enzymes are, the easier it is for our body to get all the nutrients and the nourishment from that protein. That doesn't apply to tofu. Don't drop that on the floor. Like it never, ever works out well. Eggs, uh, make sure the yolk is runny. If the yolk is runny in an egg, you'll get the benefit of the 
heart disease um, prevention. Um, you get a chemical called choline, and choline actually increases your HDL cholesterol. That's a really great thing to have. That's a naturally occurring B vitamin found in eggs, only when the yolk is runny. Only when the yolk is runny. So, you know, be mindful of the way in which you're cooking and preparing your food. And so that if the oil smokes, we know, easy message, smoking's bad. So if your oil smokes, oil's bad, chuck it out, start again. And just do low heat cooking. That's one of the best ways to go. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Go Vita podcast. If you did enjoy it, then the best thing you can do is to subscribe to the podcast, hit that little button on your phone, share it with a friend, show your friends and family how to listen to podcasts and open up a whole new world for them. Whether it's on your iPhone or your Android or on the website at govita.com.au or at thewellnesscouch.com, show your friends and family how to listen to podcasts and again, you'll open their eyes to a whole new way of learning and absorbing great information. You can spread the love by leaving a five-star review on iTunes and make sure you head on over to the brand new website at govita.com.au where you can check out the latest Go magazine. That's Govita's quarterly mag with recipes, tips, special offers and more. You can listen to all of the podcasts that are in this series and remember, when next you're doing your shopping, make sure you do so in one of the 150 Govita stores around Australia because at Govita, your vitality is our passion. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.